Welcome back once again to the weekly Coffee and Heroes podcast. Our weekly review show is coming your way today. We're going to be looking at titles that were released on the 12th of May and once again what an absolutely stacked week it was. So your host as always Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Smithfield in Belfast. Once again I'm joined by Mr. Marvel himself, Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening sir and how are you? Wee bit lower key than uh, than most most recordings. I was up uh, up home at the weekend uh, to celebrate my sister-in-law's fortieth birthday, and uh, a few more people can get together now in in Northern Ireland under the restrictions. So uh, there was there was some there was some alcohol imbibed and uh, and, a, and a wee late night or two. So uh, so feeling that a bit, but uh, it was good fun, good fun to to get out, and uh, we had a bit of a barbecue and that. So. So yeah, can't uh, can't complain at all. Can't complain at all. Yeah. What about yourself? How are tricks? How was your weekend? Similar again, quite low key. Although it was actually kind of nice. It was for the first time in ages. Vicky and I went into town and did a wee tiny bit of shopping on Sunday. It was. It's amazing how unique an experience it is now to walk around a, at the town and there be crowds and there be stores open and. Yeah, I picked up a couple of good wee bits and pieces, picked up a really beautiful David Lynch art book that I'd been looking at for quite some time, mm-hmm. and picked up a couple of movies, picked up a, an early Gilmore Del Toro movie, The Devil's Backbone, which I've never seen, Right. and uh, what else did I pick up? And I picked up a Chris Jericho wrestling DVD, which I know you're going to want to borrow as soon as I'm finished <laughs> oh, with it. Oh, of course, of course, I <laughs> definitely uh, have not reinvigorated my interest in wrestling since I was 12. <laughs> yeah, we, we just need, once we can have everybody back in the store i'm just gonna get myself brandon chris and uh tommy just to surround you and just fill you in on the merits of modern day wrestling but that's a conversation for another time of course yes absolutely um you uh you texted me on uh on friday evening to say you'd finished your pull list that was quick yeah this must be the earliest ever i mean i think it's part of this whole thing obviously we record on monday nights as best as we can and delivery comes on a monday now everything gets processed and you know, I'll bring a couple of titles home on Monday, a couple home on Tuesday, and then by the time you hit Thursday, Friday, half the pull list is done. And yeah, I mean, it was it was a big pull list this week as well, but just got in the zone and even read a few titles that I've had all the issues for. There's one we'll be talking about, a number five, an indie series that you've been, you know, banging on about for months that I finally read one to five of and thoroughly, mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed it. So yeah, I've just, I've recently read this, not that I ever lost my love of reading because, you know, obviously I read so much, but this week it just seemed uh, more than more than usual, and I'm working through quite a lot. I do have 27 issues of Gideon Falls sitting there, though, that I really need to tuck into. I know Roddy talks very, very highly about it, and many others in store, so looking forward to that. But again, it is a Monday. Delivery arrived today. One or two wee issues, but it's all being sorted. And then, <laughs> there was a lot of issues. There was a lot of issues, but you know we we don't need to go into that too much. People are probably bored of my negativity towards Diamond Comics at this point. I but feel like you you might have missed my pun completely there. Yeah, um, no, I yeah. I yeah. always catch the issues issue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, tons of great stuff coming next week as well. But yeah, we're going to be talking about you know releases from the twelfth of May. But as ever, before we jump into the comic side of things, you know we like to have a wee look around the news world, the pop culture world, comics, movies, TV. All the usual good stuff. So a few bits and bobs this week. I mean, some weeks we struggle for comic news. You know, you, there's always loads of TV news and movie news, that kind of thing. But there was actually quite a few good, uh, good few comic bits and pieces this week. I know, for example, one of your favorite artists. We finally have an idea what he's working on now that he's yes. back at the House of Ideas. Looking forward to uh, to seeing what uh, John Romita Jr. Uh, is uh, is bringing to us uh, in his. 
in his grand return to Marvel with uh, Fantastic Four 35, which is going to be a, uh, a giant-sized issue, and it's going to be part of the celebration of the, uh, the, the first family of Marvel's uh, 60th anniversary. Um, so I'm I'm excited I'm excited to see that the uh, the pencils the early pencils that have been released look fantastic um, and uh, yeah it's good to see John Amita Jr. back back home again um, the issue I think is going to be written by current Fantastic Four writer Dan Slott and apparently we'll see the Fantastic Four under attack by multiple versions of Kang the Conqueror who we're going to be seeing on the silver screen. Uh, in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, fairly soon. Um, yeah, I mean, have you, have you heard anything additional about this? Not an awful lot. I'm sure we'll get more information once we hit the previews uh, situation, but obviously Marvel announced not too long ago that John Romita Jr. was coming back. We all speculated what he was going to be on. I suppose it's maybe not a surprise that for a, for a big homecoming that he's working on Marvel's first family. I think everyone maybe thought he would be on Spider-Man of some degree or, or Daredevil because of you know his his history and his roots with those characters mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. those are certainly titles at the moment that have pretty established teams on it with marco Cicchetto on daredevil and with patrick gleason and humberto ramos and so forth and spider-man so i suppose it was uh i, I think fantastic four is a good fit again it's it's bringing it right back to the beginning and i think this will be a bit of a a new lease of life for jrjr i mean his, his Superman work was love it or hate it for some people. You know, again, I can only, you know, talk about what happens in our store, but some people like yourself loved it. Some people, I'll not mention names, hated it, you know. But, I mean, I loved his Superman year one. That was a title that he was able to take his time with and craft. And and the thing about John Romita Jr. is he's always called himself a deadline artist. He's, he's always said he's not the best artist in the world, which he's quite a humble man, so it doesn't surprise me he said that, despite having, like, three four decades worth of success at this point (laughs) but he's always said that there might be the odd panel he rushes here and there because he will never miss a deadline like he's a he's an artist you can rely on but maybe with them announcing the the return to marvel so early but then not announcing titles straight away maybe he's just taking a bit of time to craft some stuff here and it's definitely something to look forward to so keep an eye out for the previews podcast once it comes up in the next month or two whenever we get the new books i'm sure fantastic four will will be in there and as you say what a team slot and ramita Oh yes, absolutely. Need? So look, looking forward to that. I mean, they, uh, I really enjoyed the 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 start of the uh, Bride of Doom arc. Um, so I'm enjoying enjoying Fantastic Four at the minute, and uh, and that will only uh, that will only serve to increase it. And then speaking of beautiful art and beautiful covers, we saw a cover released this week for still to be released issue one wise, of course, but issue two of Moon Knight with another cover by Steve McNiven. So this is a title I think we're we're both very much looking forward to. Uh, written by Jed McKay, art is going to be Alessandro Capuccio, and this is looking like some great stuff. Jed McKay seems to really interest, really sorry, uh, seems to know the character of Mark Spector inside now. Is looking to put his own stamp on it as well. This this must excite you as a Marvel man. Yeah, very much. I mean, Moon Knight has never had a in recent years hasn't had a great length of run, so you're you're always interested to see how long it's going to last. But I mean he. His last spin out was during the Age of Conchu, which was a recent uh, Avenger storyline under Jason Aaron. And uh, in that, he sort of, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, stepped aside from, from Conchu, who's the uh, the god of the moon that, that bequeathed him his powers. So, what we're going to see here is Moon Knight trying to find out what it means to be the fist of Conchu without Conchu. 
you know, and, and, and who that is. He's still very much Moon Knight. He's still back in the streets and he's protecting pe people who travel at night, whatever that definition means. Um, I'll be interested to see if they keep, you know, they keep the dissociative identity disorder that has been very much the center of uh, of Mark Spector's life. You know, the the separate alters, Stephen Grant, Jack Lockley, Mark Spector and Mr. Knight, I think, will hopefully all appear. But uh, what McKed's saying is it's not really his DID that is his biggest problem, despite being or having the reputation for being the crazy one. It's it's the choices that he makes. It wasn't Jack Lockley who took down the Avengers. It wasn't Stephen Grant who put Konshu in charge of the world, uh, all the way back to Mark Spector's first choice to accept Konshu uh, and the offer to become his fist. So, yeah, it looks it looks great. I mean, Jed McKay has apparently been doing fantastic work on Black Cat. I haven't read yet, but uh, there were some, uh, I think some of the King and Black Stuff he did was it King and Black? Jed McKay was on some stuff there. I mean, he did um, Black Cat through King and Black, for example, and then has continued on the title outside of that. I know Steven mm. speaks really highly. Uh, I think he's writing as well Avengers Mech Strike, which I'm enjoying. It's big, sort of mm. dumb fun. Seems to be a, a, a writer who's getting more and more titles at Marvel. Yeah, much more, much more kudos. And it looks like what his, his goal is is to build up Moon Knight's little corner of the Marvel Universe and see what crops up around that you know bring in some brand new antagonists as well as some old traditional moon knight baddies and some some deep digs in the in the moon knight's background so i'm really interested i love the fact that you know moon knight is kind of a priest of Konshu, you know and uh so there, there's a lot there's a lot going on and, and hopefully through this you'll get a chance to see why moon knight isn't just marvel's batman um I'm, so i'm looking i'm looking forward to, to seeing where this seeing where this goes uh for sure excited very excited and excited for the forthcoming uh tv series about the same character i've never liked that description of him being called marvel's batman because marvel's batman is clearly daredevil if, if you ask me <laughs> and there's probably a reason why i like those characters both uh both so much i find it interesting with moon knight moon knight is a character a bit like blade a bit like ghost rider Never seems to substantiate long runs in comics, but yet seems to be one of the most requested characters mm. uh, for them. I don't know if this is uh, something to do with the mystical side of the Marvel Universe, maybe not hitting home as, as much as the heroic side of it, maybe. Even things like, uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, Doctor Strange, for example. You mm -hmm, know, Doctor mm -hmm. Strange seems to be getting a lot of miniseries, Surgeon Supreme, Sorcerer Supreme, that kind of thing. They never seem to substantiate long runs, so no, maybe that'll no, you're change. Right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, there was a time that they were, they were popular corners of the of the Marvel universe. The uh, the Midnight Suns, uh, you know, in included an awful lot of these characters. Um, but uh, yeah, you're exactly right. So I guess if if this is something that uh, you know, if you're one of those people that's interested in Midnight, buy the damn book, <laughs> put it in your pull list. <laughs> pretty straightforward really pretty straightforward i mean speaking of sort of mystical side of things i saw that one of our certainly one of our favorite series it's only, it's very much in its infancy at the moment through image comics a title called the silver coin and we'll we'll certainly be talking about it a little bit later as well but it got announced that it is now going to be an ongoing horror anthology series so this is a series almost based around the idea of the monkey's paw except in this case it's a little silver coin and it's the, the idea of it was always going to be that it was drawn by Michael Walsh, but it would be big name writers who would join him uh, in the scripting stage. So Chip Zdarsky wrote issue one, Kelly Thompson's issue two. There's upcoming issues that come from Ed Brisson, Jeff Lemire, and I'm guessing there'll be more and more now. It's it's a good news, bad news scenario. Unfortunately, Michael Walsh himself, he 
he he kept this pretty close to the chest but he put it out on twitter a few days ago that he was in a, a a serious car accident recently and had to cut down on his work a little bit and he's actually going to be bringing on gavin fullerton who's an artist we're familiar with through bog bodies uh a declan shelby uh co-creation and he's going to be helping out with some of the finishes on silver coin five and maybe some other uh titles along the line but I really like this idea of certainly with indie titles, release them, or sorry, not release them, but announce them as shorter volumes. If they do well, we can always do more. The great thing with Silver Coin is every issue is one shot. You know, it's it's simple as that. It's you you could jump on it at any point. You could pick up just ones that appeal to. You, but the the quality's been really high for it so far, and I'm I'm really glad to see this continue to be an ongoing. And it's another it's another uh, feather in the bow, I suppose, for horror stuff just horror yeah. comics everywhere at the moment very popular at the minute very popular making a massive a massive resurgence it's nearly like a new age of ec comics yeah and it's not a bad thing and it's and it's something i think that's bringing a lot of people to comics at the moment so again can only be a good thing uh speaking of a new series as well there's uh, another writer who we've you know had on the pod before and and talked about uh, talked to quite a lot the co-creator of canto david m boer so he has announced a new mini series as well uh which has just been announced today it's called killer queens it's going to be a dark horse series it's going to be a science fiction title it's being described as a queer sci-fi epic dreamed up by an all lgbtq creative team and it's going to be kicking off in august you basically said earlier this just has a touch of the Flash Gordon to it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does look like that sort of retro, pulpy sort of Flash Gordon uh, sort of thing. And the, 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 the synopsis says, meet uh, Max and Alex, two gay reformed intergalactic assassins for hire on the run. Their former boss, a fluffy monkey with a jetpack, is hot in their tail to take back his stolen ship. Even reformed assassins have to eat, so they take a mission from Alex's old flame, your Standard no-kill, casualty-free, rec- kidnapping recovery from a nearby moon. Only complication, half the moon is ruled by a fascist dictator ho- hostile to foreigners. They're the killer queens, so what could possibly go wrong? Good artist on this, Claudia Balboni. There was a great series called Fair Lady. Went for six issues from Image Comics. It was uh, very much a detective series, but with sort of you know the old trope of animals as humans that kind of thing very black saddy and really really good title only lasted six issues which was a shame but yeah this looks really interesting and also the fact that it's you know david m boer who of course we, we've chatted to we're huge fans of canto and, and it's another one of those scenarios where we always recommend following creators uh, as much yeah. as as much as possible he uh, he says uh, that killer queens is a wide right turn from canto and that's what i love about it uh which he said he was talking to io9 LGBTQ representation matters and we've created a funny uh, fun space romp that features queer characters but isn't your typical LGBTQ storyline um, and Dark Horse have put their, their full faith behind it so yeah I'll definitely be uh, with, with with David on that I'll definitely be picking that up and then just one last thing just on the comics side of things this was more of a, a personal thing but sort of in the last year or so I, I've backed an awful lot of Kickstarters I'm, I'm waiting on bits and pieces at the moment I recently obviously backed Declan's one for Time Before Time and, and a few others but one that arrived last week was from a French artist Elsa Charitier and it was her art book and the reason I initially uh, backed it was because I didn't see the Kickstarter initially but then you know, we, we obviously get on very, very well with uh, Mr. Zdarsky and he put up a, a video saying that if it reached a certain point, the way Kickstarter works is it has different levels of um, 
different levels of donations towards it and if it reaches a certain level it unlocks different tiers it unlocks different rewards and his reward was if it reached a certain part that uh, he would write a short story and then Elsa would illustrate it and this came with the art book this week like first of all it was a beautifully packaged thing it was you know just dripping in class and design and quality but this little tiny book arrived and it's maybe 16 pages it's a, t- it's a story called We Run and it is quite simply one of the best things I've ever read. It was absolutely phenomenal. And what I'm going to actually do is, you know, for me, comics are always for reading, simple as. It sounds a simple concept, but we, we have a lot of customers who are interested in the investment side of things and first appearances and speculating and all the rest. And they help push the industry as well. We, we can't always be negative about that. But at their base level, they're for reading. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring this title we run into the store. I'm going to keep it up at the counter. And anybody who's coming in for a cup of coffee or sitting down for half an hour, I'm, I'm going to recommend that they give this a read. It's a it's a quick five, six minute read, but it is genuinely one of the best things you'll ever read. The, the basic plot line is a, an old woman lies in a hospital bed and she's about to die. And her spirit leaves her body and she's standing beside the Grim Reaper. And... There's two nurses talking about how there's no one to see this woman on her last days. She's literally on her own. So this is all on the first page, by the way, so it's not major spoilers. But she makes a deal with death and she's like, look, I'm not ready to go yet. I can't leave if nobody's going to miss me. And they agree to a race across Paris. And I mean that as literally as it sounds. She's going to have a foot race with death across Paris. And that that's all I'll, I'll say about it. But it's just a brilliant, brilliant wee title. So it is. It's really life-affirming. It's really positive. It's makes you think about your own mortality and stuff like that so it's just amazing the amount of depth that came from this little 14 to 16 page book i I was almost in tears reading it as you know manly as that makes me sound but i don't care it was brilliant (laughs) so again bottom line comics are for reading guys this will be in store if you're popping by and and it sounds interesting to you i'll happily throw you my copy you can sit and read i don't care if it gets dog-eared and you know ripped and whatever else as long as it's it's achieving what it's meant to then uh, that'll be in store. So anytime you're in, just uh, just mention it to us. So yeah, that's pretty much everything on the, the comic side of things. Just a few wee bits and bobs we'll notice TV and movies wise. Uh, it was actually Keith introduced me to uh, a new trailer that dropped for Snake Eyes, which is a, a G.I. Joe origin story. Is this is this completely its own thing or is this linked to the other movies in any other way? This is serving as a reboot of the G.I. Joe film series uh, and also an origin story for the the title character, Snake Eyes, who is just about the most awesome character in uh, in the G.I. Joe universe, um, whether that be cartoons or comics or action figures. Um, Snake Eyes is obviously the, the ninja character, he, uh, and this is, a, this is an origin of how he became how he became Snake Eyes. He's a, a lone fighter. He's welcomed into and trained by an ancient Japanese ninja clan called the Arashikage, and uh, he finds his loyalty is being tested when secrets from his past are revealed as he eventually goes on the path to become the hero known as Snake Eyes. Um, stars Henry Golding as Snake Eyes. Uh, we're also going to see appearances from Storm Shadow, Baroness, Scarlet, uh, and, and a few other uh, notable G.I. Joe names. So that, I mean, the trailer teaser doesn't give too much away looks fairly action-packed um you know uh, i didn't i didn't see anything anything wrong with it yeah it looked looked fun enough it looked visually very interesting i mean gi joe's not a world i know an awful lot about 
Again, that tends to be Mr. McCance's forte. So maybe when we have mm-hmm. him on for the next previews podcast, we'll maybe get his two cents on this as well. So I'm just happy to see movies starting to come out again, starting oh, to see yeah. trailers for stuff that's going to be cinematic releases. You know, it's nice when you're reading articles and it's instead of saying hits Netflix or hits Amazon Prime on this date, it's hits cinemas at this time. So, uh-huh. you know, we're we're so close now to cinemas reopening. It's uh, it's amazing the things that we were looking forward to that we that was just a normal way of life before. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, definitely. And it's it's interesting. I mean, uh, this is going to be very much, I guess, a, a martial arts focused movie. Um, it's coming out two months before uh, before Shang Chi, about six weeks before Shang Chi, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be Marvel's uh, sort of kung fu offering. So yeah, that'll be. I think that's due out it's due out on the twenty third of July. Cool. And then, just as I say, it's all about the cinematic releases. There was a uh, there was a little bit of a press release this week. There's going to be a new Ultraman animated film. Now, Ultraman's enjoying a little bit of a resurgence at the moment. I've really enjoyed the the Marvel comics so far. I believe that's Kyle Higgins on writing duties for those. So a very safe pair of hands. But yeah, there's going to be a, a computer-generated animated film based on the characters being developed by Netflix. And it looks like it's going to be out towards the end of this year. So another another cool thing to look forward to. Netflix have been doing some great CGI and animated stuff. Castlevania as well is another one that I, I highly recommend. I Also, the uh, anthology series, Love, Death and Robots. I was watching some episodes of it last night. Really, mm. really cool stuff. And then, of course, they have one which is going to appeal to you massively, I would say, another animated show. Oh, yes. Uh, they've released the... Uh, Kevin Smith uh, has released the first pictures from uh, Masters of the Universe, Revelation, which, of course, is the uh, is the show that he is the executive producer and showrunner on. And whenever you talk about a safe pair of hands, I mean, is there any safer pair of hands than, than our ultimate pop culture hype man, <laughs> Kevin Smith? <laughs> for this so yeah i was really excited to see these pictures um you know obviously there were concerns that i mean he man is something the masters of the universe very very close to to my heart it was there and, and really enjoyed the you know the original series uh you know back in the you know in sort of the early 80s early to mid 80s so so seeing that these do bear a striking resemblance to sort of the the look and feel of the of the characters was just uh, that's that's. I mean, I was already over the line for this, which I think is premiering July twenty third on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was already, I was already on for this. But now seeing this, I'm super excited, and it looks like uh, it looks like this is picking up. You know, it's set up as the next episode in the legacy of the eighties animated series. Uh, it's a continuation of that story. They're playing with the original mythology and the characters and revisiting and digging deeper into some of the the unresolved storylines while while still saying that if you've never watched a single episode of the show or don't know this universe at all you can jump right into the story really classic universal action adventure epic about growth discovery magic and power uh, exploring destiny in a new way so yeah really excited about this they've been quite clear that that tila is going to be very much front and center in this and you look at the voice cast as well uh, mark hamill is skeletor what else do you need that's that's me sold on it just straight away. <laughs> just have a full uh, full series of just Skeletor, and I think would be on board with that. What is it about Mark Hamill that, considering he played the ultimate naive good guy in Luke Skywalker, that he just his voice is now an evil voice? You know, he's so good at doing the Joker, or he's so good at doing Skeletor, or. 
you know what I mean? It, what is it that turned him from the all-American good guy almost into the uh, into the bad guy? But there you go. But as well as that, an interesting voice. He's just got an interesting voice. Clearly, a man of many talents. But yeah, mm-hmm. as well as the animated show itself, we we had mentioned in the previews pod before. But there is going to be a uh, prequel comic book series as well, Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is going to be four issues. It's written co-written by Kevin Smith along with Rob David and Tim Sheridan, with art by Mindy Lee, and it's slated to hit on July 7th. So that's going to be a little prequel series, and I believe that's going to be four issues as well. So it's a good time to be a He-Man fan, it would appear. Yes, definitely. I mean, this was, this was just everywhere in the 80s, you know. It was, it was absolutely phenomenal. It came to a wee bit of an end with the, uh, the Dolph Lundgren movie. Um, you know, that was probably past peak He-Man, I would say, but... Uh, but yeah, if you want to be catch up, Netflix has a great series called "The Toys That Made Us," uh, and they've got a He-Man episode, so very well, very well worth a worth a look uh, before the the new series comes out. Yeah, so yeah, so that's going to pretty much do it on the old comics, TV, movie news, and all the rest. So we're going to be hitting on now to some comics. So. As I stated before, we're going to be looking at releases from the 12th of May. As ever, we like to kick things off with our pull list totals for this week. So for me, I had a, a, a large week as ever. You know, I think in both cases, for both myself and you, Keith, if we're not over 20, it's a quiet week. But <laughs> 26 in total for me this week, I had 9 DC. I had very few Marvel titles this week. I only had the three. And then I had, as usual, my Mammoth Indie Week with 14 indie titles. How about yourself? I had 24 titles with a fairly even spread. Um, I had 7 DC, 9 Marvel, and 8 Indie. So 7, 8, 9. Um, it was, uh, but yeah, it was a stacked week. It was, uh, there was a lot going on. I finished my last... Uh, you finished your, your pull list on Friday. I uh, finished the last of mine earlier on today. Um, but uh, yeah, an absolutely stacked week. Some, some real quality. Yeah, I thought you saw. I thought I saw you reading a comic as you came on to record there. You know, a little bit of sweat <laughs> dripping from your brow. You know, I wasn't quite that late. <laughs> Not quite that close, but, but yeah, again, another really stacked week. I mean, we we chatted last week about what a, a week of quality last week was, and and this week is is pretty much more of the same. I mean, it's it's a better week for me as a DC fan this week. You know, there's been a few honorable mention weeks that have been a little slower, obviously with DCs monthly title release scheduling now instead of Fortnite and so forth but this was a really stacked dc week and it was really really interesting because I, I i picked my comics up and you know i'd sort of fanned them out a little bit and you can just see the creators in the top left hand corner and i looked at it and like the writers of the the ones in my hand were james tinney in the fourth chip Zdarsky, tom taylor joshua williamson tom Keane. i was just looking at it going like it really is such a a brilliant time for the sheer wealth of talent and, and it's the same with marvel as well but it's just they happened to be in my hand at that point and the artists were andy kubert guillaume march and eddie barrows and you know just great mm-hmm. artists all around as well so but yeah we'll, we'll kick things off as we always do with with the honorable mentions side of things and then we'll move on to our picks of the week so in terms of honorable mentions as i say that both of us had quite a lot of uh, dc titles we this seems to be a a scenario where all of the honourable mentions we we have both read, and we kick things off with uh, Joker number three, which is written by James Tinney in the fourth. It is, of course, art by Guillaume March as well. Go back to an earlier pre uh, an earlier reviews pod, sorry, and you would have heard how much I love Joker number two, and obviously it ended with the revelation with the Court of Owls being involved. We have James Gordon wrestling with this decision of whether he's going to take on this 
this mission, so to speak, to to kill the Joker. And and again, what I love about this is I think that Tinian is really expertly weaving in stories from the past. And in this one, that's very heavily referenced in the Killing Joke. The the whole idea of you know a normal person has one bad day and it can turn them as mad as the Joker. And that's what I'm really liking about this. You're seeing the weight of James Gordon's past and why he would actually consider doing this. Uh, you see a little bit more stuff of him heading across the way. You know, this, uh, what's the, the girl's name again? Who's uh, Cressida, who, of she course, did, we yeah. now know as, as, as part of the Court of Isles, you know, but she's all smiles and sunshine here and very good, Mr. Gordon. And, oh, you're a good man. We trust you to do the job, you know, obviously trying her as, as best to manipulate him. I really am curious who this big brute on the airplane is as well. I have a sneaky I mean, sneaky feeling on who it is. They're 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 leading us to believe that it's that it's Bane. Yeah. Uh, aren't they? But I don't know that that's the case. That you know they're leading us to believe that maybe it, it's Bane who was burnt up in the in the Arkham uh, incident. Yeah. Um, Arkham Day. A Day. Arkham Day. But I to me that seems quite a bit too uh, obvious. Yeah, but too obvious. Yeah, they're, 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 because they're pointing us in that direction. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that Tinian's usually a little bit more clever than that, so they are. But but no, it's been a it's been a cracking book so far. You're starting to get some other uh, good characters from DC's legacy past. You know, you've obviously Barbara, but more in her Oracle guys here. You've got Spoiler. You've got Cassandra came back, girl. There's there's a lot of nods to DC's history, and again, we've talked about this about how Infinite Frontier has been has been really really good for DC because they can just pull in stuff from all different continuities as if it all happened but you know it, it's also going down the road which i think is really really cool of the whole you know gordon's going over there to kill the joker and by the end of the issue he's teaming up with the joker which i think and it all feels really natural it's just really really well done i mean i would uh i, I saw that a wee bit i mean yes that's 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 one way to look at it but at the start of the issue he's we see a flashback where he's at the mercy of the joker mm-hmm. where he's at the mercy of the joker's madness and he's just been swept along you know there's nothing he can do and at the end of this issue i feel like he was in the same position he wasn't teaming up with the joker he had no option he was again at the mercy of the joker and being swept along in the madness yeah no that's that's extremely fair i mean it's not like he's just a, a willing participant teaming up with the joker so to so to speak but just with this character coming in vengeance who who seems to be the daughter of bane coming to attack he has to obviously team up with him for his own survival mm-hmm. i suppose yeah and yeah. he, and even for the next issue it says next war buddies you know it's mm-hmm. it's just a really cool little title some of the the artwork is superb through it some of the you know the, the artwork especially on the joker just makes him seem rather otherworldly and just completely nuts uh, which is exactly what you want from your your joker yeah. character yeah i mean those those close-ups and both the the back you know the the, the flashback uh, of the, you know of the joker's of the joker's insane face when he's sitting at the top of the throne and uh, was you know there's a there's a, a three panel close-up which is class and then you know at the end just before, just after the rug pull the, the the big close-up of the joker you know and his just even the way his his gait the way he stands you know the way he holds his hands you're he's just it's crazy like he's i think uh we let gila march is, is just doing a a fantastic job uh of, of of making this look great i'm loving as well the the great noir style narrative you know there's an awful lot of it's, it's all narration Gordon's narrative you know so it's all that detective sort of that noir style thing which i know very much appeals to you it's 
it's not to the level of the noir professionals, you know, the Brubeckers and uh, uh, Pichet Chute of the Good Asian, who's recently joined that uh, that milieu as far as I'm concerned. And I love the rug pull. Uh, I think I saw it coming about three panels before J- James Gordon did. You know, <laughs> just the, the fact that we've been thinking, oh, it's going to be it's going to be issues and issues before these two cross paths. Not the third issue, yeah. you know. It was just that that shocking, you know. You coming around the corner and like, ah, you know, it was it was great. Um, the flashbacks, uh, you know, at the start were very light on, very light in detail, but did a great job of setting the scene and and, and hooking you in, you know. And uh, yeah, very very good stuff. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, so really really solid stuff. Joker number three. So. Yeah, as well as uh, speaking about number threes, we had the third issue drop as well of Batman Urban Legends, which has been the Batman anthology series, pretty much spearheaded by Chip Zdarsky and Eddie Barrow's Red Hood Batman story and Matthew Rosenberg and Ram Benjamin's Grifter story. Along with other titles in there, you've got Brandon Thomas and Max Dunbar's Outsider's Tale coming to its conclusion in this one. And then you had a, a one-shot story, Lady Shiva and Death Wish, Che Grayson writing and Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque on art. And again, I thought this might actually be the best Urban Legends issue for me so far in that there was quality right across the board. I think there's, every time I think you know that the Grifter story is going to be great and the Red Hood story is going to be great, but I actually really enjoyed the Lady Shiva story in this. And even the Outsider stuff with Katana, this is the first time that it, it actually made a bit more of an impact on me and I actually really enjoyed it. also thought the art was great on it as well. I mean... I suppose we should have expected it to maybe be better than usual because there's always a quote on the back of the issue. And in this one, it was We Ain't Leaving Here Without Our Friend by Metamorpho, which is from mm-hmm. The Outsider's story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was I was really impressed with this issue. You know, any issue that has Batman and Red Hood dropping off a kid to Leslie Tompkins just to look after for a while. And Leslie says, of course, as long as your permanent solution isn't creating another Robin, is just going to be wonderful. So it is. And... Yeah, just great detective stuff, great stuff about how Jason Todd will never learn. You know, you you have these flashbacks to when he was Robin where he's not listening to Batman and he's going off on his own and then he's doing the exact same thing with uh, this drug that's hitting the streets and obviously affected the parents of the the child he's taken in. And I'm sure you absolutely dug the the Grifter story as always. Yeah, I mean, I think my favourite thing about this this Batman Urban Legends issue 3 was... The Dream Team back together on the cover, John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a lovely, lovely cover. Um, and it maybe doesn't stand out immediately as a JRJR cover. Uh, it's it's a wee bit, I don't know, toned down. But as soon as you look at it, you go, yep, that's John Romita Jr. Um, <laughs> I take it you'd noticed, had you? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's you always look out for that wee JRJR there. But yeah, style is, as you say, when you, when you see it, you know it sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, yeah, I, I totally. I mean, the, the first and the last stories, the the Red Hood story and the the Grifter story, were my were my two favourites. Really, really good fleshing out of of Jason Todd, the likes of which I don't think he got even in Three Jokers, with regard to what motivates him and who he is and the decisions that he makes. He's always missing like the he, he's always missing the big picture and getting lost in the details, whereas. You know, Batman uses the details to build a big picture. And, you know, he's got that total resentment of of Bruce and Batman that just, you know, it's totally coloured and it doesn't line up with a person who's given that kid a lollipop, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, 
it's, it's I want to know where in the utility belt that lollipop was. <laughs> you know, but it's yeah, it's it's really good stuff. The I like the the flashback stuff as well to to him as as Robin, but it also makes me realize just how much uh, detail and time and care uh, William March and Joker is putting into drawing Commissioner Gordon or drawing James Gordon. Uh, I mean, there's there's a, that has is really saying the none, but. Um, so yeah, that was great, and I'm also yes, as you suggest, I'm loving the uh, I'm loving the Grifter storyline, the uh, Matthew Rosenberg penned uh, Grifter storyline, and we're starting to see Cole Cash's goals and working for Lucius Fox coming to the fore and figure out, starting to see what those are that they're there, and I love that they're, I mean obviously they they tried to do the Wildstorm universe in the New Fifty Two, and they they tried to do it a wee bit more recently under. Warren Ellis and and that you know and but it's great they're 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 making wee cuts in here making references to characters in the long-standing near future sci-fi uh, Wildstorm universe and and bringing in the paranoia and all of that into the into the mainline DC universe you know and uh, Rosenberg's doing that in a in a fantastic way I just next up I want to see Rosenberg on on. A white storm universe integrated into the DC universe, and specifically on a on a grifter uh, <laughs> a grifter series. But yeah, this is this is great. This is great. Cole Cash is just a he's just a a trash fire. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just he can't can't do right for doing wrong. Great great anthology. Great use of anthology as well. Yeah, great stuff, and I particularly enjoy like the meetings between Cole and Bruce Wayne, and sort of a, a demure setting in the restaurant. But then obviously they they team up as Batman and Grifter, and then there's, of course, you need your little cliffhanger at the end with Bruce and Lucius talking about how Cole's not to be trusted and he's really dangerous and stuff. So mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. I'm I'm kind of wondering with this Urban Legends if there's going to be spin out series from it because. Obviously, that Batman and the Outsiders one that did say coming later in 2021, they're going to continue yeah, with that. Yeah. Are we going to see a Grifter solo title? Whether we see a, a solo Red Hood title, perhaps, done by Zdarsky, it'd be really interesting Ooh. as well. So There's a lot of Red Hood about at the minute. There is, there is, and we will get to that even more so in a, in a moment or two. But yeah, so that was uh, Batman Urban Legends number three. We also had issue two. It was a big bat week this week. Maybe this is why I was just so happy. But uh, yeah, Batman the Detective issue two. So we're on to issue two of six of Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert's uh, Batman in London story, I suppose you would call it at the moment. Yeah, I really dug this as well. It, it didn't quite hit the notes as, as much as the first issue for me, but I really enjoyed the the nods to Bruce's past with Henry Ducard, his, his former mentor. You know, it's a little bit of a deep cut. It's, it's maybe a little more well-known because Ducard being in Batman Begins and so forth, but... Mm-hmm. Ducard's a little bit of a, a, a deep cut, which I really enjoyed, and it's actually starting to show how dangerous Batman's enemies are here, that they're able to take Henry Ducard down, given that this was the man who trained Batman. So it, it, it makes them a much bigger threat. So, yeah, really enjoyed this. Nice, big, chunky, satisfying, action-oriented art. Uh, a couple of good quips through there as well. Yeah, just a really solid series so far. Nice, big, chunky, satisfying Batman as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he's Cubert uh, is portraying a, an older, uh, bigger Batman, more akin to the the Batman of Frank Miller's Dark Knight. Um, yeah, really, really interested to see how this mystery, the, the story's unwinding and the mystery's coming together. Love the Cubert art. Um, really enjoying the the globe trotting and and seeing how Batman functions in all of these different locales. 
uh, with you know he's a wee bit more to some extent stripped down and away from away from his resources. Uh, that said, for me, I think it's maybe the least compelling of Tom Taylor's stuff to date. You know, with uh, with Nightwing coming out and and the the deceased stuff and the Spider Man stuff, maybe it's that I'm being a little bit over Batman. Um, <laughs> but that said, it's also great stuff. I mean, even even the least compelling of Tom Taylor's stuff is better than the most compelling of, of many other people's stuff. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I think part of that is as well that just the first two issues of Nightwing have been knocked out of the park so much that you're setting such an incredibly high standard there as well because that Nightwing series is, is something pretty special <sighs> so far. So, But yeah, enjoying the series. I'm, I'm more than happy that it's just a wee six-issue miniseries as well. I don't think yeah. it needs many longer than that. But it's worth it as well just for Kubert's art as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Andy Kubert there. Another one coming up, uh, we had mentioned a little bit of how Red Hood is everywhere. So something now for something completely different, if you will, in the DC Universe, although it is Batman related. You have Future State Gotham number one launched this week. Uh, another one of our favorite writers, Joshua Williamson, on uh, this title. And the artist is by Giannis Milo, Milunan Giannis. And it's interesting to see a black and white title and i don't think this title would have worked in color i actually think Ooh. the black and white art of it the aesthetic of it is part of the joy of it so we're looking at a jason todd within future state who has quote turned his back on the masks or so we think uh so that he can actually track down masks and he's on the side of the law and all this kind of stuff it's nice to see that future state isn't completely forgotten about it when future state was first being launched it seemed a little bit like it was going to be a little bit of a stunt almost of a let's just do a two-month event no real consequences and we'll get back to it but between the detective comic stuff we're seeing between john ridley's next batman series and then this one future state gotham i mean this is as close to manga i think as you get as well you know the the art style the the ferocity of it um a lot of violence through it as well and some some cracking art actually i mean that big double page spread of you know, the giant earthquake that happens, shall we say, mm-hmm. that leaves yeah. a, a certain shape in Gotham is is pretty <laughs> awe-inspiring, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy... Uh, it was an interesting choice of aesthetic. Manga manga stylings aren't usually my favourite, but I think they've worked work very well here and pushed the story forward at a at a bit of a lightning speed, uh, you know, which is, which is exactly what it needs. Some parts do look absolutely phenomenal. And it's totally different from anything else that's coming out yeah. um, at the minute. The, the black and white choice is a weird one. And it might, you know, I, I think the goal of this is to, to rotate the teams, isn't it? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think they announced it as an anthology story. It wasn't always just going to be following Red Hood. I think it was all about telling stories within the future state uh, universe, so to speak. So... As you say, maybe there's just a little bit more continuity there. If the artists artists are different, maybe if it's black and white, it's not as noticeable. If you're changing the, or may, you the know, well, that, that's what I was I was gonna say is the black and white really suited the art style here. But if the intention is to change creative teams, will the black and white suit every other style? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, if they're, I always enjoy Joshua Williams stories, and uh, while the Red Hood story wasn't my favorite Future State story um it's really interesting you know as joining up with the magistrate while also having another agenda so there's a wee bit of uh of kind of grifter in there from from batman urban legends um so yeah it's uh it was pretty uh pretty interesting glad i picked up the first issue i'll definitely pick up the the second issue and and see where this see where this story goes um it's 
it's strange, you know. It it could have it could have gone into urban legends, future state. You mm. know, it could have could have been a story in there, or uh, that Batman black and white book would seem to have been an obvious choice if you were going to make the book black and white. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I mean, there's there's a lot of really interesting deep cut stuff in it, which I really like. You know, you've got all the the news articles and all the people talking about Batman. That's very evocative of Dark Knight Returns, especially mm. where you have Lana defending him. You know, there's there's a lovely little scene where there's the Monarch Theater that's falling apart, and you can see the the letters are clearly showing Batman Forever as you know one of the, yes, the yes, former uh, movies there. <laughs> and then, of course, who turns up on the last page? Uh, I mean, this of course this has your attention when uh, yes, he when Red Hood essentially gate crashes a family meeting, and there you see Dick Grayson standing there. You see spoiler in the background. You see uh, Tim Drake as well. So, yeah, I thought it was a really solid first issue, and as you say, it was the the pace of it that was really refreshing. So it was. So yeah, really solid first issue. I'm really really glad I picked that one up. Uh, just a couple of DC ones then to finish off on. So we had the first issue again, just as Red Hood is everywhere, Mister Zdarsky is everywhere. We have. Justice League Last Ride number one, which kicked off this week. So, what were your impressions on this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Miguel uh, Mendonica, Mendonica, I think his art is, is great. It's lovely and clean, and the colors are by uh, Enrique Angeli, Angiolini uh, on colors. I think, I think the characters look great. I think uh, Chip shows that he has a great understanding of these characters and their voices. I wasn't as interested in the events that have brought the Fractured League back together as I am interested in what tore them apart in the first place and whether Superman's anger at whatever Bruce has done is is, is justified. Um, so yeah, it was it definitely was definitely was interesting. Um, I've seen some comparisons to Injustice uh, already that, uh, you know, if you're looking at this sort of story, then that's the then that's the king, and uh, that Zdarsky's maybe coming after the king uh, with this particular uh, tale. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, quite quite enjoyed it. Uh, didn't enjoy Barry so much. Didn't enjoy the Flash so much. There there were parts of that that seemed a wee bit more uh, Snyder's Justice League Flash than uh, than than uh, Joshua Williamson's Flash. Um, but uh, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. What did you think? Yeah, same again. I thought it was a really solid start. It's I always like a story that starts off in a weird way at the end. You know, you're you're obviously going to find out more and more throughout this what drove the Justice League apart, but you know that has led to them then having to get back together. I mean, I I love it when you have a Superman and a Batman relationship that is damaged. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. they're two heroes who approach the same thing in totally different ways. So I think Zdarsky's the right guy to do this. I I love that he has Diana as like the voice of reason, which she always is uh, when you're dealing with the Trinity as well. And it's it's even interesting just the idea of a Superman who's so tired. You know what I mean? Just there was some really interesting yeah. stuff there. And, you know, he knows he can't be everywhere at once. He knows he can't save everyone. And that weighs on him yeah. and weighs him down. It's really interesting the, stuff. There's some reflections there uh, and philip kennedy johnson's superman currently yeah uh you know that the, that story that where where, where his powers are, are fluctuating a wee bit and he's depending more and more on john uh so there's there's definitely a wee bit of, a wee bit of crossover there but i love that scene where where clark loses his temper in the bat cave and just backhands the coin you know the giant coin and it goes so petulant <laughs> <laughs> you know it's almost i don't know it's just the only person that gets under his skin like that yeah. is his former best friend, Bruce, 
you know, he's so tired and and it's it's that that gets a reaction out of Bruce, you know, the 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 losing of his temper, the losing of his self control because he's tired. It's that I think that gets that, that that makes Bruce respond. So yeah, interested to see where this is going for sure. And also, just as we were talking about how you know Moon Knight doesn't get enough of his own series or Blade or Ghost Rider, we need a Lobo solo series. You know, seeing Lobo <laughs> in this was a was a big thrill for me, and you just don't get to see enough of him. Proper Lobo now, not that new Fifty Two crap that they tried to do uh, right. with emo Lobo, shall we? Shall we call him? Yeah. Not a not a character I'm massively massively familiar with. I know he's been around for a very very long time. Oh yeah, I think my my first exposure to him was the Marvel versus DC uh, event yeah. uh, back in the day, but I haven't really had a lot of uh, exposure to him since. Um, who, who was it? Lobo fought in that. It wasn't Thor, was it? Uh, no, I can't remember. He lost. Lobo. Whoever it was, he lost to him. But was it Wolverine? It might have actually uh, been Wolverine. That yeah, I, I would yeah. actually make sense. So, but yeah, really, really solid first issue and. This is an interesting one because originally Justice League Last Ride was going to be a digital first issue and then printed down the line. But I think both the pre-buzz for it and the pre-orders were high enough that they thought, let's do this simultaneously, same day. So a victory for paper over digital. That's what we like to see. So, <laughs> yeah, that's Justice League Last Ride number one. And then we'll finish off with one more DC that, from what I understand, was a hair's breadth away from being your pick of the week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um Last month, Rorschach number seven was fantastic, and I believe it because of its slightly left of center story featuring a, a well known comic creator, it became a wee bit of a hot issue, didn't it? It did indeed, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it's yeah, Rorschach eight was as as you say, hair's breadth away from becoming my my pick of the week. Uh, it, this story is really as we come into the last third, I guess, of the of the arc of the of the story. Tom King's just building his own wee empire over in this corner of the DC universe um, and uh, just doing the, the best of the black label stuff, really. Um, and so what we had here, I just thought it was a really novel way to use the format. You know, we have our, our as yet unnamed protagonist undertaking three separate interrogations of individuals who are connected to uh, Meyerson, the man who may or may not be Rorschach and the kid. Uh, and the interrogations bookend each individual story as it connects to the the central mystery of uh, of the the assassination plot. The format was that each uh, interrogation or each story, each individual's storyline occupied a third of each page and proceeded sequentially through the book and ended then in a in a twist. Um, and it, I just I thought it was one, it was so funny. I read the first two or three pages. And once I'd read the first three or two or three pages, I figured out the format and then went back to the first page again and took it from the start. And, you know, the stories cross over within the pages as well. And one character may appear in another character's uh, storyline, but it was it was very, very good. I'm still not 100 percent sure what I'm reading here. You know, the Frank Miller thing last last one, last uh, issue was great. It was really fantastic. And I'd be interested to know if, if Frank Miller had lent his, his he must have uh, given his, his blessing his, at the very his, least to use his likeness. Yeah, so I'm still not quite sure what I'm reading. Really enjoying it. I have a feeling that Tom King is going to leave us to do a lot of the work of connecting the dots by ourselves, and I'm pretty sure most of those dots he's already given us. Yeah, uh, I would say if you were to go back and read this now, you could start pulling things together. Um, you know, and 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 see where it where it's going. I think those are those are 
are laid out there already. What did you reckon? I mean, I mean, and then the other thing I should say is that each third of the page was color coded. Yeah, you know, it was it was slightly red or slightly blue or slightly green tinged. Um, you know, which sort of kept you kept you online as well. It was just uh, just a great, uh, yeah, great use of great use of the the, the comic medium. Um, really yeah, I mean, it. you you just you have to think to yourself a little bit that Tom Keane just loves torturing comic artists. I mean, I, I'd be curious how much of these layouts are his idea and how much of the layouts are the idea of the artist, or if it's a true collaboration. But but yeah, when I when I first started reading this issue, it took me a couple of pages to get used to the format, similar to yourself, and then I started thinking. Should I read all the top ones first and go to the end of the issue? And then should I read all the middle story and go to the end of the issue? But as you said, it interlinks enough that, you know, you should read it in the traditional format, left to right, top to bottom, and, and go from there. But this is definitely an issue I'm going to be coming back to and giving another read to. Uh, there's there's tons in this, I think, to unpack. Mm-hmm. And I also think mm-hmm. that you're right. There's, ton, there's, uh, there's tons in every issue to unpack. But even just little nods as well. I love it where they're practicing. They're shooting out at the range, and it's a wee yellow ball with a smiley face on it. And yes, they hit yeah. it, and the wee blood stain comes down. A little nod, obviously, to uh, the comedian's button. Uh, I mean, what other comic are you going to get the line? Frank Miller confessed to aiding in the attempted assassination of Governor Turley. But yeah, then how it all links together at the end. How their stories just interlink perfectly, and so forth. And and our unnamed protagonist, as you say, I mean, he's obviously very driven, but you can just see how tired he is at the end. He's just sort of mm-hmm. like, oh, call the next one in, the lawyer. So who's that going to be? Hopefully he's got something different to say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm loving reading this month to month, but when this all finishes, this is going to make a brilliant sit-down read. Um, it really does come across as a puzzle more than anything. And yeah, Keen, yeah, yeah. And that's Keen's style. You either like it, I think, at this point, or you don't. But this is a series that has gotten progressively stronger as it's went on. Mm-hmm. It's it's just been a it's just been a brain teaser from this. It's just been a mystery from the start. It's an enigma, you know. And and you were like, at, at the start, I was because at the start, you know, we, none of us had we none of us had mentioned it as a pick or a, no. we just didn't know what to think of it. Like, and it's and it, just it's so the, as I say, the format, you know, it runs it runs, you know, three stories each page, and then. You know, towards the end, the the format breaks. You know, the format is broken. Um, you know, it's 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 and then it it goes back to that that three page that three piece format again, and then on the last page, the format's broken again. It's just really interesting, really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see where this is going. Yeah, I mean, we know where it's going, but you know, it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, very interesting. Well, yeah, it also uh, achieved the very strange thing this week of someone actually came into the store and 678 were on the racks and they asked if we had any more of the issues and we were able to source them all for them. And it's unusual that for a series, but I think that might be partially because people are responding to it in a very similar way to us where it's a case of they're getting into it the more and more it goes on instead of jumping on at the start and sticking with it and i think that's intriguing a lot of people so it's usually if it's eight issues in the 12 issue series people just say i'll wait for the trade it's fine but in this scenario it was a case of i'm here like house of x and powers of 10 was the exact same thing pre-orders were Mm -hmm. so low on that for us anyway and within two or three issues, people were, were sort of talking about it and you were starting to learn how special it was and how different it was. And then they all jumped on it late. So similar sort of idea. But yeah, that's... Um, um, you know, still interested to see how it's going to link to the Watchmen TV series. You know, we can see how it links into the Watchmen universe, but 
you know we've got the the, the threat of the squids yeah you know, the on squids the are here and uh, if indeed if indeed they are or uh, so yeah i'm just i'm really interested in how it's going to link to the you know the masked cops you know and 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 the watchman tv series and all of that sort of stuff so yeah, good stuff. And then just final word on it as well. It's just that it's it's one of the best looking comics on the shelves. It is effortlessly beautiful, detailed, you know, has great atmosphere to it, great colors, just a beautiful looking book, beautiful covers and and yeah, just really intriguing storytelling. So yeah, Rorschach number eight is our last DC honorable mention. So we'll jump into the Marvel side of things then. We we kick off with a title it I'll be curious to know your thoughts on this because we not that we would disagree, because we never disagree, of course, but we I loved the first issue of Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow. You weren't as enamored with it. I know that you had, obviously, thoughts about this story being told before and in previous what-ifs and things like that. But as much as I liked number one, I thought this was a step up as well, you know, and, and I think it's a, a bit of a testament to the idea of let's give these, you know, what-if storylines four or five issues, give it room to breathe. There was some really creepy storytelling in this, which was really intriguing. There was some great villain work with Wilson Fisk and with you know Scorpion, and and also some great work with J. Jonah Jameson. And given how much he prods at Spider-Man through the press, you know what would happen if Spider-Man snapped and realized you're consistently yep. bad mouthing me to the world all the time. There's some great stuff with uh, with MJ as well. There's a really creepy scene showing how he sleeps, which was uh, really unnerving. I thought this was fantastic. Uh, I should say, sorry, before we continue, uh, Chip Zdarsky on writing duties and Pascal Ferry on art. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a, a huge improvement on the on the debut, uh, and I'm really enjoying that. The darker path down which Chip is taking Peter. Um, yeah, as you say, it's, just, it's given it a wee bit of room to breathe, I think, as... There's value there, and we see how he, you know he starts to wrestle with himself after his brutal murder of the hobgoblin uh, last issue at the end of the last issue. But uh, yeah, the the I mean the symbiote is is taking control, crushing JJ's hand, and uh, as you I, I I am not holding. I, I I feel like Mary Jane needs to run very far away <laughs> uh, because I don't I don't very think this fast. is going to turn out well for uh, yeah. I don't think this is going to turn out well for MJ, uh, but yeah, there's some brutal scenes here. His his murder of the scorpion and uh, and of uh, of shocker and and of uh, of kingpin uh, was just so. Yeah, suddenly that, the Sinister Six are starting to look like heroes. That kingpin scene was incredible. I thought because it was all about the confidence of Wilson Fisk talking about how he had figured out who it was and you know what would cause someone to snap and who were the family associations and you know working out who Spider Man was. And <laughs> that last panel is just Spidey just blatantly attacks him. Glasses go flying. It's mm-hmm. I just I think it's just such an intriguing look. And as you say, it's great then that you then turn the page. And you've got that six panel structure showing the Sinister Six. And as you say, maybe they're actually going to be the heroes of of this story as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, or, or is Eddie Brock going to be the hero? Well, this is it. You know, are we are we going to get uh, a rebonding with the original symbiote host? So. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one, but I loved the second one. This this was very high in my my picks this week. I thought, and I thought the art and colors as well, actually by uh, Matt Hollingsworth, were were superb as well. So yeah, I love love Pascal Ferry's art. 
So, yeah, Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow number two. Another title that we're both on and both love on a, on a monthly basis is Conan. We're up to issue 21 now. We're continuing on with the Land of the Lotus storyline. And we're actually starting to see a little bit more of the mystical side of things after that cliffhanger from the last issue where Conan fought the head of this clan and was able to beat him. But thought he had killed him. His neck was all out of joint. And then he just sort of clicked it back in the place and went, oh, you're quite impressive, sir. But... You're, you're starting to see some uh, hidden depths to some other characters in this issue as well. I thought this was great as well. Yeah, I mean, the, they're definitely sort of pulling the uh, the sorcery into the sword and sandal, uh, you know, that, that makes up Conan. It's definitely not a good jumping on point, I would say, to this series. No. But really compelling story to those of us who have been, been following it. There's some uh, great reveals about the true nature of, uh, of the Bandit King and about... Uh, May Wai, the uh, the scholar that he's with, and uh, and then we have the return of the blade that got Conan into all of this, which had me go and gasp. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the tooth the of the night star. Night star, yeah. So uh, it just pushes ahead. There's not a lot of breathing room in this at all, um, but there's a, a lot a lot to like. I think Jim Zub has has firmly uh, taken control of, of of Conan the Barbarian at this stage after. Uh, after Jason Aaron jumping off, so uh, so yeah, really, really enjoying the Conan stuff. It's just, it's just solid. Yeah, I mean, the biggest compliment I can give it is uh, I negotiated with Andy recently, and he sorted me out with uh, nine of the twelve issues of Savage Sword of Conan, and I just have to source the last three just because kind of need me some more Conan because I'm just you know months is too long a wait between issues and. And I like that it's a series that 21 Issues In has been really diverse. You know, you've focused on the barbarian side of things. You've focused on the fighter that he is and the, the warrior that he is. But now, as you say, you're moving into the mystical, the sorcery, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of lot of scope here. And I'm even tempted to go back and read some of the early, you know, Roy Thomas stuff as well. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this, this was great. So Conan 21. What else have we got on the Marvel side of things then? I see a new X title launch this week. Yes, did you pick it up? X Corp number one. I have a lovely Scotty Young cover of it, but I say I finished uh, my pull list. I haven't read it. Tell me why I should read it. Oh, because you bought it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I brought it home for uh, Vicky. That's a different thing. <laughs> it's uh, Tini Howard uh, on uh, on writing duties, and uh, our artiste is Alberto Focci, uh with uh, Sunny Sunny Go on uh, on colors, but. It's it's a breath of fresh air for both the X books and I would say for comics in general. Uh, you're pairing business espionage with political machinations with mutant superheroics, and that would be you sort of there or thereabouts on the on the genre. Um, looking at the impact of Krakoa and its pharmaceuticals, the flowers, uh, on a global scale, and how that has that has changed things, and it it connects very deftly back into the the other X books. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, Tini Hard has done such great work on the on the magical side of the of the mutant ascendancy in Excalibur. So I'm really keen to see how she handles something a little more. Well, I'd say a little more down to earth, but it's 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 not that. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential here to explore, you know, business ethics and and, and the, the 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 problems that the moral conundrums that, that these characters will find themselves in. And the characters you're looking at, I mean. Angel is one of the original five X Men, but you know he hasn't really appeared so far in in, uh, in Hickman's you know reign of X. Uh, so it's nice to see him 
here at front and center. So we have Angel slash Archangel, whenever he loses his temper, his uh, apocalypse-created uh, side will come out. Uh, so he's one of the original X-Men, as you know. We have M from Generation X, who also has a has a bit of a dark side in Penance. Uh, we have Multiple Man from X-Factor, the original X-Factor. Uh, well, not the original X-Factor, but Peter David's X-Factor. So they're all characters that I really enjoy seeing used, and I'm, I'm really enjoying... I really enjoyed how they were used in this first issue. Trinary is a character that I'm less familiar with. She's a, a, a like a, a techno sorcerer type person, uh, but uh, seems very, very interesting. So, so yeah, I really enjoyed this. There was a lot going on. It felt like a big issue um, because there was there was so much happening. Um, but uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so open it up and uh, crack it open and give it a read for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, as I say, it was a case of bringing home uh, those Scotty Young variants that uh, Vicky tortures me for all the time. Speaking of mm-hmm. Scotty Young variants I had to bring home, there was also one for Fantastic Four 32. Uh, this is a new storyline kicking off, isn't it? Sure is. It's part one of The Bride of Doom. Uh, we have Dan Slott and R.B. Silva uh, on the world's greatest comic magazine of Marvel's first family. Um so there was a lot to this is we're celebrating 60 years of the of the Fantastic Four this year so there was a there was a lot to did, did you read this yet have you read it yet not yet I know no. you were sort of thinking about this as a and it is a it is a, a start of a new year great jumping on point it's lots of and fantasy lots of intrigue and conflict and drama and plenty to look forward to and I would say one of slot's strongest Fantastic Four issues to date really plays with the the drama of the extended family. There's a couple of shocks in here, and uh, are are really really cool. We have the return of uh, of Johnny's f- former wife, uh, Lija Laserfist, who's a scroll, uh, who uh, and that's set against his his bonding and some issues previously with a character called Sky, who is his is his soulmate. Uh, we have an appearance from Crystal, who's a he's also a former fling of Johnny's. So Johnny's kind of been been all over the map and at one stage he has a conversation with her and uh she says uh so the sky does she know your your history and he says i've told her everything about you about your sister and dory and zashi who was a character in the original 1984 secret wars that he fell in love with um, so it's uh, and, and she's met my scroll ex-wife Lija. that was fun <laughs> so there's a lot going on here uh really enjoyable the the family dynamic now between uh, between Ben and Alicia and the two kids that they have adopted, uh, who are one is a Skrull kid and the other is a Cree kid, and they're uh, sort of warriors extreme. Uh, it's really good stuff. The the story, I guess, it, it's a it takes a lot of it takes place in an art gallery where they're displaying a lot of Latvian art, and uh, the the Doom's right hand. Uh, right hand warrior victorious she is uh, she's there to guard it and it just it ends up there's a group of characters who look an awful lot or feel an awful lot like uh what did you call the the flag smashers from uh falcon and winter soldier falcon soldier uh yeah they uh, they sort of uh, are appearing here and we have against the background of this fight we <laughs> we have Lige Laserfist, the ex-wife arguing with the new girlfriend and johnny stuck in the middle so it's it's pretty groovy but there's a really sort of kind of dark moment where Lija sort of acts a wee bit out of character and and goes her own way and says uh you know Johnny though I don't wish to part from you I believe it's time to rejoin my people and 
there's a fairly fairly deep cut where you you're reminded who Alicia's father is, her stepfather. Her stepfather was the puppet master, an original Fantastic Four villain, who used magic clay to create clay figures to sculpt clay figures that allowed him to control people. And there's a wee uh, there was a wee <laughs> sharp intake of breath. Uh, whenever I was, you know, so very, 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 very good. There's also a backstory here that fits perfectly uh, into the uh, into the original story, perfectly characterized. Where uh, where we see a flashback to Reed and Ben and and Victor Von Doom back at State University many years ago, and uh, and that, and then Victor has invited Reed to State University again tonight, and uh, and pits him in a chess game in a sword fight. Uh, and uh, whoever wins the sword fight must grant a boon to the other. Uh, and of course, so that, I should say that the, the core story, the, the, the backdrop of it is that uh, Von Doom needs to take a wife and uh, contacts Victorious and, uh, <laughs> and asks her in his own special way to marry him. While Johnny, who has just slept with her, is under the bed, <laughs> so it's it's pretty cool stuff. But uh, but yeah, this sword fight and uh, and the boon, of course, that Victor wants to be granted is uh, whenever Von Doom is getting married, who else is he going to ask to be his best man? Very very cool stuff. So yeah, this was a very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable uh, start to this. As I say, what's going to be, I think, a very intriguing uh, storyline. So enjoy whenever you get ready to read it. Yeah, I'll, I'll think I'll uh, pick that up tonight. Uh, again, I just have to read the uh, the Scotty Young collection. Sometimes the thing is, I bring those home, I show them to Vicky, they go in her pile, so I actually forget about them, and then you know. Yes. But he yes. only does Marvel covers, so I, I I then maybe just need to be reminded. So, but yeah, Fantastic Four thirty two. It's Bride of Doom is the storyline title, isn't it? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, Bride of Doom. Yeah. Um, so that's it. It looks like it's going to be a a really interesting storyline. Cool. You know, and it's, it's it sort of goes back to that idea that Doctor Doom is part of the family, despite the fact he's the arch enemy. You know, he's also he's also uh, Valeria's godfather, so he's mm-hmm. the godfather to the <laughs> to one of the, the Fantastic Four's kids. It's interesting stuff that love hate, you know, relationship. Well, as within any family, there's always a certain level of dysfunction. It would clear. So, yeah, Fantastic Four 32 then rounds off the Marvel Honourable Mentions. So, a couple of indie ones to get to now with Honourable Mentions. We obviously talked about how there was a lot of indie titles on our pull list this week. So, again, some really, really high-quality titles here. Uh, The first one we're going to kick off with, we mentioned in the intro, talking about this series being promoted to an ongoing series. This was Silver Coin number 2. So, the next issue of the Horror Anthology series, Michael Walsh on Art. And instead of Chip Zdarsky writing this time, it's Kelly Thompson on writing duties. And this was another one that pushed very close to my pick of the week. It's a very straightforward, simple story. But it's a story that everybody can get on board with. It's the story of, you know, that misfit person who goes to camp, wants to fit in, but is ultimately bullied. And Michael Walsh's art in this issue is what nearly elevated at the pick of the week for me. Because, again, we preach a lot on this pod about efficiency of storytelling see the amount of storytelling done with just a little look or a small panel or that kind of thing i mean there's this two-page spread where where our main character is trying to enjoy camp and she's not trying to get in with the popular girl she's just trying to do her own thing but they just can't leave her alone there's like little smiles as she's doing archery and then they fire arrows at her there's stuff where she's fishing on her own and they splice her with water skis there's this small little smile as she's doing the old dyed t-shirts that i think People of a certain generation, 
possibly on this podcast would remember. Uh, <laughs> but then, of course, they throw paint all over. You know, they cut her hair, all this kind of stuff. So this is all set against the background, as I say, of camp. And these uh, these girls have told this ghost story of how a serial killer lives in the woods. And they bully this girl so much that she runs out into the woods and she ends up coming across this uh, this small house with the lights on, goes in and sees like all these satanic uh, signs, sees this blade hanging up on the wall. And in a really subtle way, it took me a couple of times reading this actually, like the coin is not as pronounced in this issue as it was as as the pick in issue mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. but it's then, embedded in the, in the hilt of the blade it is indeed and there's this struggle with you know this shadowy figure in the house and and with with our main character and then it just goes into pure horror friday the 13th jason slasher movie type stuff and it's just as grisly and gruesome as it is it's just so much fun uh, yeah, I am yeah. loving this series. I think I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm trying to recommend it to as many people as possible, and it just has that sort of kind of darkly comic quality to it. You know, it's mm. yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of this. I'd say. I think. Uh, I mean, I think yeah. The comic has the embodies the spirit which you kind of have to watch those movies with now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe whenever you were a kid you would have watched them in horror, you know, but now you're sort of watched them in a sluggy, slashery yeah. sort of a, you know, that's ridiculous, but hilarious sort of way, you know, uh, which of course may be just the way that we avoid experiencing the horror all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it didn't resonate with me as much as the first issue, I have to say, but then I'm also not a massive fan of slasher flicks. But you are uh, but a it, music man as well, so well, that's also up. true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I did, I did enjoy it. It was a quick read. Um, I enjoyed that uh, the scene towards the end when we see how she has arranged all the bodies that she's killed mm-hmm. uh, in the camp. That they all are uh, embody uh, the, the the people she has killed, the kids she has killed. She's killed them in a way that embodied the way that they bullied her. Yeah. Uh, whether that was with arrows or whether that was with the tie dyeing of the t-shirts or at the, with a fishing rod, um, but yeah, just that moment whenever the you know, the hilt of the the hilt of the uh, the knife comes apart and the coin falls out, and you know, free from the coin's influence as it rolls away into the river, uh, she suddenly realizes what she's done. And uh, how come how am I going to explain killer. this? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just... yeah, that's that's good, and I'm looking forward to the next issue. Uh, after a home invasion goes bad, the mysterious coin helps its new owners outrun the law, but it's leading them down a path much darker. By Ed Breeson, another very solid pair of hands right there, and someone who is well attuned to the horror genre. So yeah, Silver Coin too. It's it's their their title so far that it reminds me of something like say Tales from the Crypt or something like that. You know what I mean? Different story every week, covering something different. Uh, different type of horror genre should we say and yeah just a lot of fun to read but very much adult only kids so you know i will say that uh another title that was out this week brought to uh my attention i could finally read all five of these back to back this is a series that keith has uh sung its praises for 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 a number of months this is a title called scout's honor it's an aftershock title written by david pipos and art by luca casalanguida and I can see why you love this so much. This is the epitome of world building. So it yeah, is. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. This is this sort of uh, works on the idea of an apocalypse happening and who's going to survive an apocalypse. 
the scouts because why the scouts are always prepared I, th- I thought this was brilliant it did take me a little bit obviously i read all five issues back to back and our main character at first you think is a male character and you find mm-hmm. out very quickly that it's actually a female character girls can't be in the scouts or in the boy scouts anyway that kind of thing so she's she's looked at as inferior there was also an interesting little sort of uh, romance story here that i don't know if they never fully explored that i would say they mm-hmm. they have yeah, these yeah. two friends who you think are two boys so you don't know if the friend had an inkling that this was a girl or if he's gay or whatever but they never yeah, fully I went mean, into that detail they they didn't i mean there's there's a lot there's a lot here they because they the the scouts were uh what do you call the 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 doctor that they venerate um the, the guy who, who created the the Eagle Scout Dr I... Jefferson Hancock um, so so he had uh, he had created he he created the laws of the of the Scouts uh, and uh, that they that they venerated it becomes clear that the that the Scouts were delinquents this level of Scout was delinquent that were they were recruited from across the foster system and trained in practical survival skills codenamed the Ranger Scouts and uh, you know the the idea was to curb their violent tendencies by incorporating and indoctrinating them into the next generation of elite soldiers. But whenever the apocalypse came, they all escaped. And so you know they they follow these laws, and you know, but it's a lie. It's all a lie, you know, because the scouts escaped, killed Jefferson, Little Hancock, and all of this sort of stuff. And only Kit knows. Uh, but it, yeah, it was just it was you know, and as you say, she's a you know she's one of the best of the of the scouts and uh is, is going to be indoctrinated into the is it the eagle scouts or yeah the eagle scouts yeah uh, there's the one spot every year yeah mm-hmm. and uh and she's up against her her best friend but of course it's soon revealed that she's a girl and uh yeah that that relationship i think i think the the best friend was gay as father makes reference to it mm-hmm. and how ashamed he is you know of, of that and how it's against the, the doctrines of the Eagle Scout. So it's really about how a, how a religion, you know, how a, a set of rules becomes a religion, you know, uh, you know, whenever the, whenever the relationship to what they originally meant is lost. But yeah, it was a perfect conclusion to the series. It's going to make, I think, a very satisfying self-contained trade paperback. Um, and I don't think you'll have any problem selling that either to regular comic readers or non-regular comic readers alike. Um, no, I, I think so, and and I would hope that there would maybe be more of it because they they really do a heck of a lot of world building in this, and it almost mm, seems I, a shame to build that kind of a world and then only have five issues to. I mean, I thought, yeah, I mean, I, I think what they were doing was was interesting. It was they they built a locale that I think would fit perfectly, and I think we recognised and would recognise it perfectly against the backdrop of most or many post nuclear apocalypse scenarios. So. You would recognize this if your character in Fallout came across it. Mm-hmm. You know, it would fit perfectly in there or it would fit perfectly into a lot of those sort of mutant apocalypse sort of stuffs. But but yeah, I mean, at the end, you're sort of left wondering about the rest of the world and how things will progress once we leave Kit and our, our people behind. And it was, you know, it ended really well. You know, it was a smart, action-packed series. It was really intense. It had a whole lot of emotional depth as well, I think. Yeah. Um. And there was a great climax that brings hope to to the characters that surround Kit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think this could easily have been parsed out into a much longer story, you know, twenty or thirty issues if they didn't want it to go that direction. Yeah, I think so. I'd I'd love to see more done with it because Aftershock aren't 
particularly well renowned for doing second volumes of things there's there's a couple mm. of series they've done baby teeth has continued on it's written by donny cates beyond that there's not jimmy's bastards went for 12 but a lot of their series they, they seem to almost be uh a model that's very very similar to awa that's a lot of four or five issue you know hard genre pieces almost that that could arm really well undone by blood i suppose is a good good example mm-hmm. of one that's come back mm-hmm. for a second volume so yeah, yeah, I just think that world building, I, I wouldn't like to see it go to waste. I'd happily, happily jump back into this world again at another time. So, But yeah, Scout's Honor number five. As Keith says, I won't be far away from hitting trade. So uh, you can go back and listen to previous pods where he chatted quite a lot about it and uh, talked about its <laughs> virtues on a monthly basis, if you will. So yeah, there's that. And then there was one last one, just an honorable mention out for, which is Gagger number two. <coughs> Pardon me. So issue two this week uh, hit uh, Jeff Johns, Gary Frank and Brad Anderson's title. So we were really, really impressed by the first issue of Geiger. It was beautifully drawn. Again, the world building of it was superb. It set up some some really interesting plot lines and themes. And issue two just continued more of the same. It uh, showed us a little bit more of the past for Tariq as well with him getting cancer and so forth and people maybe guessing of as to why he survived and why he became the glowing man that sort of thing so I think there's more to be uh, explored there you get to see a little bit more how Las Vegas works we were we were shown Las Vegas at the end of the the previous issue and it seems to be that uh They've come across something that is a relic from the war and it can possibly give back hope, but it could also make more destruction. And a, uh, a waitress who works in Las Vegas actually steals this, uh, recognizes its importance and, and runs, and then her two children end up with it and they come across the glowing man. So it's tons of great stuff in here. The art in this was something else, I thought. Uh, beautifully rendered world, some good bug action as well, some sort of dark mm-hmm. horror popping in there. Uh, I love a villain that has a handlebar moustache. That's just a, a wee guilty pleasure of mine. We get... um, I felt like there was a wee Back to the Future 2 nod in there whenever they put on the radiation suits and the it's too big for the kid and she just presses the button and the thing just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's almost like, oh, for God's sake, I have to do everything for you. Resizing. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. you're, I think you're right there. But yeah, just a really, really solid start to the series and it's it's starting to introduce some more new characters as well. Yeah, just just a really good series so far. Again, the this seems to be one that's reputation is growing a little bit by the the month as well. We've had more people jumping on to it here. You always have faith in this creative team, you know, to to pull out something really really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I'm I'm pretty invested now in in Jones and, and and Frank's world. I feel like there is a danger that it could drop into the derivative pile a wee bit. They could they're they're walking a line, and I think they could they could fall to, to one side if they're if they're not careful but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff here i mean the the relationship between the the king and uh and the uh, the radioactive man you know geiger um and uh the, the, you know the meltdown man and the, the 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 handprint that the king has across his face that has clearly come from that has clearly come from geiger um yeah it's uh, it's really i'm really enjoying it and it just it looks gorgeous it looks gorgeous uh, yes. for sure so that is... uh, the Las Vegas reminds me a wee bit of uh, the Las Vegas of Stephen King's uh, The Dark Man in the Stand. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very interesting. So, so yeah, enjoying so, it. So enjoying very it. much up your alley then, if it's uh, evoking memories of of the King. 
Quite, quite. Indeed. So, yeah, so that's Geiger number two. That brings an end then to the honourable mentions then. So we'll just finish off as we always do with our picks of the week. So, as ever, I mean, we... Throughout the honourable mentions, of course, it's always after the fact I say this because I always forget at the start. There's always minor spoilers, but with Picks of the Week, we do deep dive into these titles. So if you do want to remain spoiler-free, maybe skip past these ones. But Picks of the Week this week, both came from indie titles, both came from Image Comics, and uh, two very different titles. Uh, The reason I've showcased mine as a Pick of the Week, A, because it's absolutely fantastic, but B, I wanted to bring a little bit of attention to a lesser title. sort of a lesser picked up title so far so my pick of this week was Carmen number three so this is both written and drawn by Guillaume March so despite having obviously a very high profile gig as the artist on Tinian's Joker series we we chatted about a bit a bit about it earlier you know Guillaume March is a Spanish writer and artist and and this is his latest trip into the world of creator-owned comics but it just seems to have passed absolutely everybody by you know, in fact, in our store, it is literally just me and Roddy who are on this title from the start. And when it hits trade paperback, I'm be prepared for me to push the hell out of this, as it's actually one of my favorite comics so far this year. And issue three was the strongest issue. So the basic premise of Carmen revolves around a young woman who commits suicide after a particularly bad case of heartbreak. But rather than leave this eternal plane and head to heaven, she was a good person, or hell, suicide is a sin, She exists in a place between worlds and is able to observe both the world and the people she left behind by taking her own life. She's guided through this place by our our titular character, Carmen, who's an unconventional angel who takes her under her wing. This is a series so far that is just equal parts ridiculous, funny, thoughtful, dark and whimsical. You know, it poses a lot of questions about mortality, the unknowing effect you have on other people's lives the pain you leave behind for others should you decide you can no longer go on. It's almost like a European take on It's a Wonderful Life, but much more entrenched in fantasy rather than, you know, a heightened reality. One of the sources of humour, for example, from the title comes from the fact that in this in-between world, you are as you died, meaning that Kata, who is our main character, committed suicide naked in a bathtub and therefore has to roam this world completely naked as the day she was born or the day she died. And March plays with this a lot with playful angles covering her modesty or unflattering views of the human body. You know, it's not designed to be like a titillating device or anything like that, more an embarrassing one than he can wring humour out of. So she lived in the city of Palma in Spain, and that's the, the city that she's exploring the whole way through this. She's able to fly and float around the area, listen in on conversations or witness human stories that relate to her own situation. You know, if she touches a person, for example, she can see all of their memories. She can see everything that led to this point in their lives, but obviously they don't know anything's being done. And this is where the strength of issue three comes in. As she sits down on a bench and she thinks a man is able to see her, so you think the story's going to go in a different direction. However, he's just looking right through her as if she's not there at this waitress across the plaza. You know, he's going to propose and Kata is able to learn their entire story. However, tragedy strikes and again the idea of life being precious and fragile is brought to the fore again. You know, it further shows that suicide is not to be taken lightly. You know, our time is limited. You know, don't regret how you spend it. Any comic that evokes uh, a memory in me of an Oasis song or an Noel Gallagher song is is all good in my book. And <laughs> it makes me think of there's this lyric of a recent Noel Gallagher song, which is don't be afraid when you're rolling the dice. Life is a trip that you don't take twice. You know, 
there's also a deeper look into how angels actually engage with each other in this world. So there's a lot of world building going on as well. You know, how they have quotas and paperwork to do for every life that is extinguished, how much of a burden it can be. There's even an argument in this issue between two angels. You've got Carmen, who's the main character, and this other angel who takes her job a lot more seriously, whereas Carmen's very playful with it all. You know, they, they talk about how you shouldn't get close to those you're shepherding to the afterlife as Carmen has in this instance. You know, she's taking a real shine to Kata. The artwork is absolutely beautiful the whole way through this. I mean, you wouldn't even know that this was the same artist as Joker. Joker is a beautiful looking book, but it's all very dark colors and harsh shadows and wrinkles under eyes. You know, this one is more, you know, unique and interesting layouts, soft dreamlike colors and a vibrancy to the world that, that really draws you in. But also just like life itself, there's always dark moments intermitted with the light. You know, I really can't recommend this title enough. You know, it might have been the perfect week for me to read this issue as it actually evokes comparisons with the title I talked about earlier, We Run, that uh, Chip Zdarsky and Elsa Chartier did. You know, however, it's also very original in its own right, completely different to anything else on the shelves. As I said before, it might be a little late to jump on the singles, but this is one to watch out for when it hits graphic novel. I'd even go so far as to say this is the kind of title that you would gift to a friend who thinks comics are just for kids or superheroes, you know, and comics can't be interesting and unique and actually have something to say. So thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. I, we need to get Roddy back on this pod so I have someone to actually Ooh. talk to about it. <laughs> like when he, he, he picked up his issues on Saturday there and I said to him, look, will you please message me when you read Carmen 3 because I really need to talk about it to someone. Brilliant, brilliant book. Pick of the week this week. And as I say, once this hits trade, I think it's the uh, designed to be six issues. Once this is hitting out on trade, guys, I will let you know and, and I'll be all over it. So, yeah, brilliant title. Carmen number three from Game March. So that is my pick of the week. But your pick of the week is something we have both read. And uh, what would that be? That would be, and I know this this might seem a wee bit sell given that we interviewed the creators uh, some weeks back. But... You know, I, I gotta say, I think the the quality of Time Before Time, number one from Image Comics by Declan Shelby, Rory McConville, Joe Palmer on uh, on art, and Chris O'Halloran on uh, on colors, uh, more than more than sort of makes it a, a great choice for for pick of the week. I think, I mean, this is an Image book, an Image. You know, although we say that, you know, that's it's kind of silly calling Image an indie publisher at this stage, but what makes Image indie is that they can give creators a chance to do something a wee bit different. You know, that it isn't with Spider-Man or Batman, doesn't have to respect a continuity or a canon. And uh, and I think for this reason, that that's why Image stands out and very often and why Image more and more often appears as our, our picks of the week. And and issue one of Time Before Time is is no exception. It was described as a, a cross between uh, Looper and uh, and Saga. I don't know where the Saga's coming from just yet, but uh, there was definitely elements of Twelve Monkeys in here as well, uh, and and none of those are, are are bad things to hear. But I think Image might have a real have a real hit with this book. It really it really really works, and it really has me interested in in what's coming next. I can't wait. Uh, so. Shelby and McConville are they introduce us to our our protagonist here, uh, Tatsu, in the year nineteen eighty seven, and he's we quickly realise has has brought this teenager and their his mother back to nineteen eighty seven. We don't know why 
we don't find out why he's just doing his job. He's a handler, you know. He's the he's the back end of this machine, and and his job is to drop them off and and very briefly orient them. And <laughs> the the there was a part in in here where he goes any questions, and the kid goes, "Yeah, what's the Wi-Fi password for this place?" And he's Tatsu's like, "Kid, uh, Wi-Fi isn't going to be invented for another ten years at least." And the kid's like, "What?" You know, and it's just I just uh, the juxtaposition of that was hilarious that. For whatever reason, this woman has paid a clean fortune to get out of to get out of the future, to get back to the past, in order to to live a life. And all this kid is interested in is the Wi-Fi. It's so so funny. But we go back to twenty one forty, where uh, we're introduced a to the to the effects of time travel on the body. Uh, Tatsu has apparently done done a bunch of drop offs that day. And it's affecting him. It's it's impacting him. He's feeling nauseated, and it seems to be. But he's. We realise that he's working really, really hard because he wants to get out from under a debt. Um, and we meet his buddy Oscar. Uh, I guess his mate or his housemate. They both work for this company called the Syndicate, a criminal. I guess a a criminal organisation that uh, that has access to this time travel technology, and for the right price, will deposit you back to a a year or a time period of your choosing in order to get out from under whatever you're under and 2140 does not seem like an awesome place to live uh we know there's a future and we know that we know this because of the story and because there's travel into the future but it seems that 2140 this time period only exists because it it's able to take resources whether those are uh i guess um high-end you know resources you know wines and chocolate and things from the future or the past or or i guess other resources from the future but yeah it's uh, so anyway uh the, the crux of it is that uh that, that tatsu and oscar decide that they're going to get out they're going to get away from 20 20 21 40 they're going to steal a time pod and they're going to go wherever they want and they're going to settle there and they're going to make a life there uh but uh, just before that happens uh, Oscar's called away on a job and it all goes a wee bit pear-shaped and whenever he comes back he's not the same man that he was or he is the same man that he was but he's a lot further along his own timeline um, and uh, and things just that this I guess this pushes Tatsu's uh, Tatsu's intended mission forward and uh, there's a bit of a there's a, a bit of a bit of a cliffhanger at the end as we're introduced to a, a brand new character and, and a brand new direction and a, and a brand new time period and and things are are going a wee bit uh, a wee bit pear-shaped but i mean this was the story was was fantastic and the art really suited the story it felt like we know that rory has a you know has a a history with 2000 ad and there was parts of it felt really like a 2000 ad story i mean i'm i sort of hold off and saying it's got a very british sensibility because i know uh, Rory's a proud cork man, and uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. He'll not be on this podcast again. You say those kind of things, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it just looks, it looks great. Um, the art just is, is, it's not the sort of art that is normally my bag, but I think it works really well here. It's a hell of a start, you know. It's all the the wee details like that thing with the Wi-Fi, you know, the concept. You know, they're keeping away from. They're keeping away from the the rules of time travel. You know, they they throw Doc Brown and Marty out the window, and they, you know, they throw all of those different rules. Even the, you know, it's kind of a wee bit more like Avengers Endgame, 
you know, where they, they kind of threw the, the time travel rules and, and, and the, the problem you can get into out the window. And uh, and we, we go from there. But what did, uh, what did you reckon, Alan? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it as well. It's, I mean, Looper is one of my favorite movies. I, I adore it, and this evokes memories of it in the best possible way. But yeah, I mean, it's really good character work. There's loads of really good little moments to it, as you say. There's and loads of good world building. I mean, there's there's a scene just where they're walking through sort of twenty one forty, and you just see these background details: global GDP expected to drop, you know, newspaper reports, crop crisis, hurricane deaths, toll rises to four thousand five hundred. As you mm-hmm. say, this is mm-hmm. this is a future that is not pleasant to live in. So you can understand why the idea of time travel would actually appeal. And why people would pay a clean fortune to get out of that that time era as well. But there's a lot of really good, um, interesting questions as well. I mean, he takes a guy back to 1963. And he stupidly, Tatsu, the, our main character, starts asking stupid questions like, uh, why are you in some sort of trouble? And the guy's like, well, no, was, you know, cops stitched me up for a few murders. Yeah, they were all self-defense, honestly. And, you know, he's, he's clearly yeah. just a really horrible guy. But, you know, he, he tells Tatsu that the syndicate are, are lifesavers. I love the art. I actually really like the art style, and I like that there's a few wee small moments in it that are great. Like when that kid asks the Wi-Fi password, it's obvious that the mum and Tatsu are looking at the kid, but it also kind of looks like it's a fourth wall break as well, that they're almost looking at the reader, as if to say, is this kid for real? Sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I see, I see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a wee small Very moment good. where Tatsu's boss gives him some chocolate, and he's just sort of like thumbs up, like, mm, yeah, chocolate's good. There's just little details I think are great. I think the colors are superb the whole way through. Hardly surprising with, you know, Chris O'Halloran on colors. You know, very, very well-known and very well-respected colorist. Great world building. Great evolution of a relationship between him and his best friend Oscar within issue one. I mean, that's the kind of drop you would almost think a couple issues in. Like, maybe Oscar's disappeared Mm. for a while or something and then you see. But I'll I'll certainly not spoil it too much what that, that twist is. But it's really interesting. And then, yeah, the, the book takes a total different turn at the end, as you say, with the introduction of this new character. Not many stories introduce a new character with three or four pages of the last issue to, or the first issue to go, well, I which mean, I found really this, interesting. This is, the, this is the cliffhanger that's going to drive the story, you know, and, and, and where it ends up. I think that this is that that's the relationship that's going to be that's going to drive this. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I really just really enjoyed it. Dark and dark and gritty time travel, uh, in a way, you know, it's uh, and I mean the the idea of a criminal organization that has access to all of time is is kind of a wee bit chilling. Um, Even if they are running out of pods as well, you know, there's loads of little details yeah. there that are really interesting and and just builds the world really really interestingly as well. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think they're I think they're they absolutely explode off the blocks with this one that's number one i think if you haven't picked it up pick it up again like the good asian last week which was another number one from uh from image if you haven't picked it up pick it up when you can because i think this is going to be this is going to be a hit like it, it really is fantastic the you know the blade runner type aesthetic of the future and the the way that they the way that the different time periods are drawn i think it's fascinating where this could go it really is and it it's fascinating you know what the the creators have planned for the format and could do with the format um in the in the future it's uh yeah very very good and it's it's yeah everything looks a bit you know the 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 technology isn't star trek technology it's much more 
sort of worn out and they, they mention that they're short on pods and and all of this it's, it's all it's it's worn and used and i think that's going to be a, a key point as well you know so it's yeah very very solid concept and really i'm already looking forward to issue two um could go anywhere could go anywhere yeah, also really looking forward to that uh, Kickstarter that we backed the uh, the process edition just to see the Ooh. the work that goes into it the the ideas you know because it is a it is a true collaboration as well as as we obviously heard when we we chatted to the guys uh, a week or so ago so yeah if that interests you make sure to go back on to the uh, the pod network and you can find details on that as well so yeah really solid choice really good book and as you say really looking forward to uh to issue two so that was time before time number one keith's pick of the week so we'll finish off now as we always do with a, a little look ahead to the the next new comic book day which this week is wednesday the 19th of may and uh pick out three titles that uh, have us most excited so for me, it's a it's a nice little mix here. I have one Marvel, one Indie, and one DC, so the perfect little mix there. That doesn't happen often, I can tell you. Indie-wise, <laughs> the first one for me is uh, Many Deaths of Lila Star number two. We obviously highlighted this really, um, we gave this a lot of exposure on the last Reviews pod when issue one came out. It was a fantastic first issue from Ram V on writing duties and Felipe Andrade on art. So for issue two, it's the Avatar of Death now exists in the mortal world as 20-something Lila Star after humanity begins the path to immortality. Years pass and Lila unexpectedly meets the boy who will change everything at one of the formative moments in his life. She must decide what she truly wants from him and how far these revelations will push her. Then my Marvel pick is Daredevil number 30. I know, shock horror, but... A new issue of Daredevil is always something to look forward to. Beautiful cover with Electra sitting on a rooftop, steam rising in the background, sun is rising, little newspaper in the foreground, Daredevil dead, question mark, Daily Bugle. So for this one, it's doing time continues as Electra gets her bearings in Hell's Kitchen. Matt Murdock finds an unlikely ally in prison. Meanwhile, Wilson Fisk gets the phone call you've been waiting for. So that is uh, Daredevil 30. And then we're finishing off my last choice this week is Superman Red and Blue. It's hitting issue three this week. Uh, I've been really enjoying this anthology series. I think it's only going to run five or six issues, but there's been some great, great stuff in this one. So five more incredible tales of the Man of Steel told in an art style that pays tribute to his primary colors. In this issue, we take visits to both Smallville and the Fortress of Solitude. We look at an object that was important to Superman on his trip to Earth, and we see the lasting impact that has on those around him. Plus, punching. Someone has to take down the electromechanico-organic <laughs> intelligence they call Kilgore, but even he's nothing compared to the massive monster waiting in the farthest reaches of space. And that also has a glorious Paul Pope cover as well. So those are my three choices. What about yourself? Uh, I have got two Marvels and a DC, but I understand I may be a little disappointed by the DC. Yeah. Uh, not by the DC, but by the, <laughs> the distribution of the DC. But nonetheless, uh, Fantastic Four Life Story number one is out this week uh, by Mark Russell and Sean Isaacski. Uh, and in the tradition of Spider-Man Life Story by Chip Zdarsky, and in celebration of the FF 60th anniversary, which we've already spoken about this evening, uh, comes this series setting the lives of the fabulous foursome in real time across the years. Amid the backdrop of the Cold War and the space race, a terrible accident gives the Fantastic Four great powers a terrible secret and entangles them in the history of their planet. Uh, also up, we've got 
The Immortal Hulk, uh, Time of Monsters by uh, Al Ewing and Alec uh, Pagnadel. Uh, they introduced the original Hulk uh, 10,000 years ago. Something green and glowing comes to poison the ancient ground of the Fertile Crescent and the hearts of its people. One boy is left to bear the consequences and for the first time to open the green door. Plus, Bruce Banner faces a challenge unlike he's ever seen before as writer David Vaughn makes his Marvel debut. And then lastly, and I know you're going to disappoint me, Alan. I know you're going to disappoint me. <laughs> I love I'm how you say, to... I'm going to disappoint you. That, that hurts. That hurts. Uh, I'm looking forward, of course, to Nightwing 80 by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. Um, leaping into the light part three, Dick Grayson has always had a big heart from protecting those persecuted by bullies in his youth to combating evil alongside Batman as Robin to pledging his newly inherited wealth to enriching Bloodhaven as Nightwing. His kindness and generation, gen generosity have always guided his life. But now a new villain stalks the back alleys of Bloodhaven, removing the hearts from the city's most vulnerable. Who is the terrifying new menace named Heartless? And will he be able to resist plucking out the biggest heart in all of Bloodhaven? Read this literally heart-wrenching issue to find out. Well, That's going to be delayed to next week. I'm going to give you special dispensation next week to have four picks next week as you're only getting two this week. Uh, yeah, Nightwing is unfortunately not coming out in the UK this week. There were a few titles that were slightly delayed getting across the water. Of course, Diamond did not tell us about this. They were just missing from our invoice on Friday, and we finally got confirmation today with an email from them. So, unfortunately, Nightwing, I believe The Flash was due this week as well, and also Justice League. Those are all delayed by a week, so it'll be a slightly bigger week next week. And as I say, I'll let Keith have four picks next week as long as one of them's Nightwing. <laughs> no, I wouldn't worry. This week is <laughs> this week is stacked. There's obviously Black Knight: Curse of the Ebony Blade number three as well. We're going to see uh, the Mighty Thor versus the Black Knight. So in lieu of Nightwing eighty, uh, Sais Brayer and uh, Sergio Fernandez de Villa's uh, Black Knight: Curse of the Ebony Blade number three uh, is is my 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 third. Well, there we go. I'm glad that you were able to find the third one in there. So it's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, as I say, just unfortunately a few titles delayed this week, but still plenty of great stuff coming your way this new comic book day. So that is going to do it for us this week. So that's us taking you through the titles released on the 12th of May. We'll look forward to seeing you in store from this Wednesday the 19th for this week's new releases. As ever, we are back uh, fully open in the store. Sitting facilities, not quite there, but should be by the next time we record. So something to look forward to there. <laughs> I don't know if you were, uh, if you noticed on the chat there, just as we just as we started recording, there was a wee ping from Roddy saying, I hope we'll hear some Snake Eyes chat on the pod tonight. So... Uh, <laughs> So, Roddy, that was right at the start, so that's for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you really should have been on this one, Roddy, between Snake Eyes and someone for me to talk to Carmen about. You really should have been on this one. But we'll get you back soon. So, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed this. Hope it proves useful as always. Any titles appeal to you as ever, just reach out, get in touch, and we'll always do our best to source them for you if required. Or if we have them in store, we can always keep things held aside for until it is convenient to get in. So thanks as always to Keith for uh, the comics chat. A much better way to end what was a, uh, a challenging day. <laughs>